Welcome to the third episode of This Week in the Metaverse. Yon is back in action, so we have the OG crew bringing you our thoughts on some of the latest and most influential news affecting the development of the Metaverse. The three topics we're going to cover this week are, first, Roblox hiring the former Zynga's chief technology officer, Nick Torno, as the VP of engineering for the developer team, as reported by TechCrunch. Second, there's been lots of reports that with, uh, relate Apple to filings with the U.S. government getting trademarks for a reality OS, which is set to be the name for the OS for its mixed reality headset, according to Bloomberg's Mark Gurman. So we'll break down what that means for the metaverse. And then lastly, Crunchbase had an interesting article looking at the metaverse being a top area where seed funding has stayed quite resilient this year. So we'll dive into what that means since we've talked a lot about VC funding and, and the capital markets. Um, but before we do dive into all of this, we just have a short announcement from our friends at Roundhill Investments. This podcast is brought to you by Roundhill Investments, the advisor to the Roundhill Ball Metaverse ETF. The Roundhill Ball Metaverse ETF, which trades on the New York Stock Exchange under the ticker symbol METV, is the largest dedicated metaverse fund in the United States. The ETF tracks an index developed by Ball Metaverse Research Partners, a metaverse-focused indexing and research company headed by industry expert Matthew Ball. For a prospectus and more information, please visit roundhillinvestments.com slash ETF slash METV. Read carefully. Investing involves risk, including possible loss of principal. Investors should consider the investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses carefully before investing. Distributor Foresight Fund Services, LLC. Okay, so diving right into it. We're going to start off again with Roblox. So according to TechCrunch, I'm just going to read a bit of the article here. Nick Torno is joining the company as the VP of engineering for its developer team, leaving his former post as Twitter platform lead. Torno also spent a decade at Zynga and served as the company's CTO from 2013 to 2018. At Twitter, Torno oversaw the company's tech stack, boosting the company's speed at shipping new products and expanding its cloud infrastructure, among other products. At Roblox, he'll be tasked with scaling the developer engineering team that manages the toolkit Roblox creators use to build fresh experiences and games for the platform. And, Yon, you know, just before I get your thoughts on this, I did, uh, you know, I, I have some, some coll you know, colleagues and in, in industry contacts. I reached out, people who used to work at Zynga, just, you know, what do you think of this guy? What do you, you know, you, he, he was there. And everything I hear is really good. Um, he was really influential in building out Zynga's tech stack, which, for those that don't know, was actually a big competitive advantage for Zynga, particularly in being a consolidator and getting more, in that sense, mobile game creators, developers, to come be part of the Zynga uh, city-state model because they were able to leverage Zynga's tech stack. So, you know, I, I, I think for Roblox, this is, this is pretty interesting because, yes, they're flipping it and make it user-facing tools, but users are the creators in Roblox. So what do you make of this hire, Yon? I think it's a huge hire, and let me explain why. Roblox historically, as a platform, is been built as a user-generated content platform, right? Um, a lot of people until today still look at Roblox as kind of a pure play UGC gaming platform. And the way the, the tools and the developer stack and the whole software that developers really use has been built with that historic, historic perspective. Over the years, Roblox has grown and matured to become a platform where those individual user generated creators now became more professional studios, more professional developers. Not to mention professional companies like SuperSocial and others that have come into the platform and not only working together with existing Roblox developers, but also bringing off-platform creators who may not have grown on the Roblox platform, but come from AAA or mobile free-to-play and have different 
type of tools that they are used to. And so I think to invest in engineering leadership that has built such a phenomenal comprehensive software stack that uh, to some extent enabled Zynga to become a world and a global leader in, in mobile gaming, to bring that level of talent to the engineering leadership, specifically to focus on expansion and scaling the developer tools and the developer stack, I think just that shows not only to what Roblox needs, which is to definitely level up their developer stack and the tools that they provide to developers, but also bringing someone who has done such a remarkable job in enabling Zynga to become what it is and really helping to accelerate that growth of what Roblox is becoming, which is a platform where not only you have thousands and, and potentially millions of individual user-generated creators still on the platform, but really maturing into a platform where serious businesses can be built and serious businesses will need more serious developer tools than the ones that Roblox has today. And I think this is really a testament to the commitment that Roblox is putting in really scaling and expanding their developer tools. And, and, and I believe a major uh, progress for the platform and what developers can expect. Obviously, this will take time. The impact of someone like Nick joining will be seen, I believe, in the next 12, 18, 36 months um, and in accelerating what Roblox has already most likely have been doing. Yeah, and, and so the first thing that TechCrunch notes he's going to work on is real-time language trans translation, which is by no means an easy feat, but I think for, for Roblox in particular is is massively important. It's important for anyone that has a large global user base distributed, but for where Roblox is today, particularly with so much growth coming from inter, uh, international markets, emerging markets, um, you don't want to you know leave Roblox creators the onus of of translating their content into 30, you know, 40 languages that they need to support. So being able to do that programmatically is going to be massive for creators. And I think that's, that's a huge thing for them to tackle first. And I'm really impressed that they're going after that because, you know, that, that's something that pretty much no one has really been able to solve. I mean, the solution to that in gaming has always been historically just region lock servers and put people that speak the same language in the same servers. And, you know, but if, if, if the, for the vision of the metaverse, you don't want region lock servers. You want as few servers as possible. I mean, today we physically, technologically can't support tens of thousands. Eventually we want millions of people on a server. We can't do that yet. But when we get there, we don't want to have to region lock that and language lock that. We want to make it so everyone can be with everyone. And so... This, this is a massive undertaking that they're going to go after, but it, it, it really is huge for what they're trying to build. And especially as um, people, a lot of people still think of Roblox as very dominated in North America. And on the monetization front, it's true. But out of the 55 million daily active users of Roblox, 66% of them are actually coming from outside North America, where some of the largest geographies where users are coming into Roblox today include Brazil and Philippines and Thailand and Indonesia and South Korea and other territories like India and Japan are definitely growing in importance, Mexico, Russia. Um, and so the ability to of making it much more simple and frictionless to turn your experiences to become relevant for an international audience is really important in 
really not only expanding the international footprint of Roblox as a platform, but also making sure that users, the end users, are able to ex experience and enjoy games and experiences built by developers anywhere in the world. And then also making the experiences the developers are building in English-speaking countries, making them easily relevant and accessible to that international audience that that is that is coming into the platform. And so um, I, I echo what you're saying, Matthew. I think it's um, probably not by accident they chose that particular subset uh, of issues to tackle first. Uh, but, you know, as, as a developer, as a company that is building on the platform, I can tell you that gives me confidence to see that Roblox is investing in that type of engineering leadership. And, and, and you know, I do know that there is a lot that they need to do to expand the offering to developers, especially as organizations on the platform become more savvy and more professional and the needs and demands of an organization, of a developer organization of today on the Roblox platform um, is, is, is most likely radically different than a typical developer organization, you know, five or seven years ago, or maybe even three years ago, to be honest. Absolutely. And, you know, just to, to wrap it up for people that are new to our podcast on our first episode of this week in the metaverse, you can scroll back through the your favorite podcast feed or through the YouTube. We did a, a deeper dive on Roblox after their earnings report. So if you want to go into more of the numbers that Yohan was alluding to around the DAUs and the growth, um, you can check that out. We did a nice breakdown there. Moving on to our second topic for the day, um, we're going to talk all about Apple. So uh, it's clear pretty much that Reality OS is the name of the operating system that's going to power Apple's mixed reality headset. We're still not really sure if this is a purely VR device, a purely AR device, or some combination of the two. There's been lots of, for lack of a better word, mixed reports on it. Uh, so, so what do we make seemingly of Apple getting the pieces ready to launch a mixed reality device, having the software stack ready especially? And what does this mean for a broader metaverse strategy for Apple? You know, I think it's going to be so interesting because everyone has always thought about VR and talking about Apple uh, with that sort of approach of, okay, like there's going to be VR before Apple comes in and after Apple comes in. And suddenly once Apple comes in, they're going to introduce something and it's going to become mainstream and Apple is going to help virtual reality and VR headsets come into way many more households and users and so on and so forth. And look, I think that may that that may be true. Um, we will need to see what exactly Apple launches, what is the product, what is the price point, of course. It, I think estimates are talking about not that cheap of a price. However, we're already paying something like $1,200 for you know a new iPhone. However, it's a new iPhone. It's a phone. It's a computer in our pocket. And I think the key question is going to be on the back of Apple launching. I think there's two things in my mind, Matthew. The first one is, will Reality OS or, or whatever the, the, the actual public name of the OS is going to be and the device itself, will it actually drive VR as a category closer to mainstream? And when we talk about mainstream, let's just kind of define what that means. That means hundreds of millions of people using and purchasing it, right? Um, really crossing that 100 million headset per year that we haven't really crossed yet in the category at all. So that's kind of the first key question is, will Apple actually help move the needle of the bigger, of the wider category of VR when it comes to consumer adoption? 
That's the first question. And then the second question is, what level of acceleration of developing experiences and apps and so on and so forth, how will that impact the evolution of that ecosystem? Are we going to see something that in the range of what happened with the iPhone? Or are we going to see things more in the range of what happened with the Apple Watch, which was, yes, they are selling a lot of Apple Watches. They are basically the largest watchmaker in the world and may well become the largest VR maker in the world. But we haven't seen an Apple ecosystem of apps on Apple Watch exploding. And I think that's going to become the key questions. Is there going to be an acceleration of an app ecosystem that will really push consumer adoption forward? And then maybe the last piece, I think, is going to be um, how it's going to push the wider narrative of the metaverse. And to our audience, you've already heard us saying it many times before, metaverse doesn't equal VR. We believe the metaverse is going to be device agnostic. You're going to be able to access metaverse apps and experiences from multiple devices. However, I do believe, Matthew, that VR will introduce a certain subset of experiences and use cases that will be particularly attractive and compelling through VR devices. And I am curious to see what type of use cases are going to come up on the back of a VR device built by Apple that, again, will really push that consumer adoption and will give the market a bit more clarity of what type of unique use cases and experiences VR is positioned to deliver to people beyond a novel game or, or a novel experience that we've seen so far on the Oculus Quest, for example. I'll lay my chips on the table. I don't think an Apple VR headset by itself moves the needle on the VR market. And this is exactly, I mean, I've talked about this, you've talked about, this is the reason you started a company. I think by nature, humans are social. We like to interact with other people. I don't think the act of locking yourself away inside of a headset and basically confining yourself to a fixed inside area is something that most human beings socially want to do which is why AR is table stakes for me. And that's why we need to see what the actual hardware is that's going to be behind this thing. Because if you really, I mean, Google Glass was basically a great idea and great concept. It was just too early. It wasn't ready for a lot of reasons, both hardware and software wise. But the concept of, of a, a tech device that can augment the physical world with digital content, that is the metaverse. And that is extremely powerful. I mean, Think about being able to walk down the street and with your Apple glasses or your Google glasses or whatever, you can look at a restaurant and all of a sudden on one side, the menu pops up and on another side, the Yelp reviews pop up, you know, so you don't have to go on your phone and start scrolling. You just, you absorb the information while you're going. That's an extremely powerful concept using location-based services, AR, you know, you know, lots of AI in the background. And so obviously we're years away technically both on the hardware and software side still, but I think that's where it gets interesting. And until we can use technology to augment our natural social behaviors, a lot of this is going to be continue to be niche. You know, I, I, I echo I echo what you're saying, Matthew. And I think, you know, on top of building on what you said, I'm actually super curious to see, is it really just a VR device or is it something more? Because if you look historically at Apple especially with what they've done with the iPhone. They, they reimagined or redefined what a smartphone is, right? What a smartphone means and really ushered a whole new era of 
consumer technology and consumer applications. I'd like to believe that this is what we're going to see. We're going to see, ideally, I'd love to see Apple launching something that is going to be more of a paradigm shift against what we have typically have been accustomed to see with, with the Oculus Quest, which is a typical VR device. Um, so is it going to be a typical VR device? It's just going to be 10 times better, which might be enough for Apple. Or is it something going to be really at the mixed reality level, meaning there's going to be VR elements, but also AR, meaning it's not being isolated, as you said. It's more of augmenting digital experiences on, on top of reality. I don't think anyone knows. I think we'll, we'll have to wait and see. Um, I'd like to believe and be excited that Apple will be launching a paradigm shift, uh, a paradigm changing device, which as a developer, as a builder, as a creator, I will be very excited about. Um, and if it is a paradigm shift, is, it, is that going to be enough to push that particular category? I, I don't know. I think definitely what, what we're continuing to say here on the podcast is that VR standalone, a VR headset where you are isolating yourself by definition is something that may have compelling use cases, but by definition may, most likely is not going to be a mainstream device because most majority of humans, majority of people are not going to hang out for hours every day with a device on their head that takes them away from reality. But again, I think there are going to be use cases where in certain use cases, there might be mainstream adoption, but it might mean that people are going to use on average 15 minutes of VR per week or maybe half an hour per week, right? Which is obviously not going to drive a massive explosion of an app ecosystem like what we've seen with the iPhone. And so to me, it's like when you think about Apple, to me, it's that pendulum, right? Is it going to be closer to the Apple Watch, which is something you use, but really we haven't seen an explosive app ecosystem build around it. And to be honest, most likely we're not going to see. The biggest kind of the killer app category for Apple Watch has been health-related apps, which is niche, but important, and that's okay. So are we going to see that with VR? There's going to be a really beautiful, expensive VR headset by Apple or a mixed reality with a very clear use case that becomes that mainstream adoption for which why majority of people buy? Or are we going to see something that is really going to build a whole new consumer application ecosystem in the realm of what we've seen with the iPad and with the iPhone? I think that's kind of the key question. And where the pendulum falls, I think we're going to have a different type of impact on the wider metaverse narrative. And just to level set expectations, Apple's Worldwide Developer Conference, WWDC, is June 8th. We're chatting on June 2nd, so just a couple days ahead of where we are. A lot of people do not expect to actually see a device the next week. They're expecting to see Apple unveil the software kit, just like they unveiled iOS before unveiling the iPhone. There's a lot of expectations that a device still won't be ready for another year or two. So, you know, we just want to level set expectations. We're playing the long game here and thinking this out. But, you know, seeding the developer base with the software, with the operating system is the first step in this strategy. And that's how they were successful with the iPhone. And that's what they're trying to do here. So that's what that's what we're really looking for next week. Maybe they should also consider calling it iOS, like I, the word I versus reality OS. <laughs> <laughs> well, Futurama already beat them to that. They had the, they had the iPhone, the EYE phone, the one they stuck inside your eye. <laughs> there so, you go. You know, shout out to Matt Greening. Okay, so then, um, you know, so, so our last topic for today, I think this will be a short one because we spent a lot of time talking about the capital markets and what it means for the metaverse. But, you know, Crunchbase had a nice article and it kind of tied back to the things we had been talking about in the last couple episodes 
Um, you know, they report that the metaverse is one of five areas for seed funding that's actually stayed quite hot in 2022. This is with the backdrop of a very rapidly cooling off VC investment environment. So as Crunchbase, uh, Crunchbase said in their article, we identified at least nine self-described metaverse companies that raised what they called good-sized seed rounds so far this year. The largest funding recipient is Space Runners, a developer of metaverse fashions with an early focus on sneakers. They pulled in $10 million in a March round. Other funded startups include Cyber uh, and Mirror World. Uh, so, you know, it, it's clear that there's still interest, particularly on the seed side here, um, from VCs uh, going after, you know, the, the metaverse still, even with everything that's going on in, 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 in VC land. And so, you know, how do you kind of reconcile these narratives we've seen on public company side, you know, the later stage growth side, and then what we're seeing on the seed side here? I, you know, I think from what from from a from a bit of research that I've done on on kind of the landscape of the VC at the moment, um, it seems like the the seed the seed rounds are where a lot of the innovation is happening at the moment, right? And and I can speak on on behalf of Super Social as well as being already a seed stage company. You know, we've we've raised seed round um, a year ago, but definitely a lot of the innovation I think we're seeing in in metaverse application, metaverse experiences, either if it's you know, web two, web two and a half or web three, a lot of that innovation is really coming now out. So I'm not surprised that we're continuing to see those seed investments happening. And I believe we're going to continue and see seed investments or early stage investments related to metaverse continuing to go pretty well over the next couple of years. I think we're most likely we're going to see a slowdown for the metaverse space is going to be in the growth stage for a couple of reasons. First of all, I think in general, the growth stage is going to see decline in valuation and level of investment because of the reflection and the aftermath of the public market, um, the public market crash that we've seen over the last you know 60 days. And then the second thing is be because we're still very early in the metaverse, we have seen a layer, a first kind of layer of companies you know, starting with, of course, Roblox and Unity that became publicly traded companies. Then we've seen kind of the big rounds last year of companies like Rec Room and Core, Manticore, um, VR Chat, right? And so we've seen that sort of layer of companies that have raised significant capital anywhere beyond between, you know, 50 to $200 million. And then now I think you have kind of a bit of a gap between the seed stage companies and those companies that started a few years ago. Um, so I think we're going to continue and see on the seed stage a lot of innovation and seed rounds happening um, in the next couple of years. And I think it's going to there's going to it's going to take a bit of time until we get to a place where some of those early bets from this year, last year and maybe even two years ago at the seed stage metaverse related are going to mature into growth investments. Hopefully at that point of time, the the VC landscape will kind of come back and after the crash we're seeing now. Um, and we're going to see again the sort of Series A, Series B, Series C investments in, you know, metaverse contenders, um, you know, 12, 18, 24 months from now. Yeah, I mean, we talked about this last week with Brian when he was filling in on Twim, but, you know, the markets, whether it's public markets, private markets, go through these cycles. And even in the great financial crisis, companies like Uber got funded. You know, that's when Uber got their seed funding was 2009. Lyft was in 2010, right? So just because the markets are turbulent now doesn't mean it will freeze forever. And so these, as you said, these companies that are truly innovators that have unique ideas and technology, 
they will get funded. It may not just be as quickly as they might have wanted. It may not be as large as they wanted, but they will get funded. Um, I remember our first episode of, of Into the Metaverse we did, you made a, a really good comment that it's entirely likely that the leader, potential leader of the metaverse doesn't exist yet, right? Nobody wants to miss these companies that are going to be the leaders of the next big technology platform. And so from that perspective, I totally am with you. I think that we always have these hiccups. We need to digest a lot of things that are going on that are beyond the control of any single person running a company in the metaverse right now. Um, but, but, you know, when things start to normalize and settle down, you know, it, it, there, there's going to be a lot of room, a lot of time on their side as well because we'll be coming away from, as we've talked about, the hype cycle, moving into you know, more realistic expectations as to what this is going to look like. And, and I think at that point, these companies start to look really attractive, particularly you know, if you have dry powder on the table. Yeah, I, that's, that, that's great commentary, Matthew. And, and two, two things I would highlight as well is, you know, first, is that there has been a lot of ve new venture funds that have raised money over the past 12, 18 months. Uh, for seed stage investments and they have capital to deploy and so that's another reason why I think we're going to continue and see those investments at the seed stage happening there are funds that have been started and raised money from LPs to invest at the seed stage and then a second a second thing is that I'm sure uh, our audience many of them have, have seen that Anderson Horvitz have raised a 4.5 billion dollar crypto fund which includes investment in, in crypto games and, and metaverse experiences related to Web3. But also, Anderson Horowitz also announced a 600 or $650 million games dedicated fund. And so I think we're going to, that will continue to really push the envelope on this space. We're going to continue to see uh, a lot of investment in seed stage. And then lastly, I want to say, as a, as a founder and a CEO of a seed stage company, Super Social, um, what I think the landscape at the moment pushes us, and I'm happy for that, is a couple of things. The first, we are really focusing on building a business, and I think a lot of the ventures that have raised the seed money are going to really work hard to build the business and show that they have something real and legitimate that is exciting that people want. And we are bullish about the space, and we are excited to be operating in this space. And then the second thing is that now that the hype is down and there are less eyeballs looking and there's this craziness of a funding and capital allocation, um, I think to your point with what happened with Uber and Airbnb back in 2008, 2009, I think this is great for the space because now we can all just focus on building and not be in that endless pursuit of funding and capital because investors are there and they're able to invest and so we can really focus on building something great and the funding is going to be there for the right teams, for the right businesses, for the right ventures, for the right products. The funding is going to be there. The funding is always there for the right teams. So maybe there's going to be less hype. Maybe in total there's going to be less funding, although that's debatable. We'll see the numbers in a few quarters. Uh, but what is certain is Funding is going to be there at a seed stage, at an A stage, at the B stage. Funding is going to be there. It's just going to be allocated in a way that is a bit more ruthless, a bit more focused, and one that really enables companies and teams that are building things that has teeth, less hype and more teeth. And I think that's overall going to be really good for the space. Totally agree. I think that's a great spot to wrap up. So 
thanks everyone for tuning in again if, if you if you like this podcast please rate review and subscribe on your favorite platform if you prefer uh, videos we're also on YouTube uh, and stay tuned for more great content we have some great interviews coming out over the next few weeks 